ball is my favorite sport. I like the way to dribble up and down the court. Just like I'm the king on the microphone. So it's Dr. J and Moses Malone. I like slam dunks and taking it to the hoop. My favorite play is the alley oop. I like the pick and roll. I like the give and go. Cause it's basketball or Mr. Kirch's flow. Welcome in to a special Buff Stampede radio podcast. This is the men's basketball season preview episode. It used to be, and by the way, I'm Adam Monster Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com, joined by fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Nice to be here. But, but you all already know that anyways. <laughs> it used to be, Tyler, hashtag is it November yet, but we haven't seen that this year, and obviously that's because football is actually good. Hashtag it's November. Finally. It's, it's a reminder to those people that are so into football season that there is a men's basketball season on the horizon. Friday night at the Coors Event Center, the season opener. Yeah, I can even honestly say that basketball snuck up on me this year, and that's hard to do because basketball is definitely the sport for me. Um, so CU being relevant, not only relevant, but terrific in football, is uh, shortened the season for everybody. Um, even getting my preseason preview together, I was stressing pretty hard. So like, oh my gosh, this season started writing it last week, and the season was like 10 days away. I was like, wow, I better better get to writing. We got 10,000 words to write and not a whole lot of time, so let's, let's get it underway here. We're going to get into predictions later. We're going to do our top buffs countdown, uh, talk about each player individually, talk about some of the other teams in the Pac-12. We've got a mailbag. I've got a pretty short interview with Bill Greer, the new assistant coach, and it's short because I had to get over to Tad Boyle's media scrum at Wednesday's practice, uh, but it's enough of an interview. You can kind of get a, a quick glimpse at uh, the, the the new coach on the staff. Let's start it out just talking about some of the, some of the main topics here. Uh, Tad Boyle always keeps it real, but Tyler, how much of his preseason message via the media is motivation versus legit concern? Oli Buff had a, a similar question for the mailbag, but I think we need to address that at the top because Tad Boyle has been pretty harsh on his team this preseason. Yeah, I would say there's some legit concern. He, he definitely does this every single year, but I feel like this year was a little more pointed than in years past. There's some, he has some concerns. They have time to figure it out, though. I mean, last year they started with Iowa State. <laughs> you got to be 100% ready to go for that game. This year we have three kind of cupcakes. You know, you know, obviously you can't take them lightly. You got to win the games, but uh, they'll, have, they'll have some time to work out the kinks before they get to Notre Dame at Barclays. He alluded to this a little bit on Tuesday. I think a lot of his frustration comes from the fact that there are so many experienced guys, you know, redshirt seniors on this roster, that I think that leads into it a little bit too, that you expect those guys to be on point a little bit more, and when they're not, it becomes more frustrating. Then when you have a younger guy, sometimes you let maybe not things slide, but you, you understand where they're coming from. Uh, do you think that might play into it quite a bit as well? Um, yeah, there's, there's some, some part of that as well. Um, he, he talked about that in one of his quotes. He was like, ah, we have five fourth year or fifth year senior juniors. They, we should be farther along at this point. But I think it's just a lot of these kids haven't played together yet. I mean, it's, you're still in preseason. You get out on the court and that's when you really figure things out. So the younger guys, yeah, you have a little more time to learn. We, we don't have the benefit of that with this team. I mean, you have upperclassmen all over the map. They got to be ready to go. We'll see how it plays out. Obviously, Tad Boyle wants to see defense and rebounding, so when he doesn't see that in practice, that's going to make him angry. But also, there's the other side of it, Tyler. This team has a lot of shooters on it. 
it could it some, sometimes be that they're just really good offensively and, and that's the reason that their defense doesn't look as good? Or maybe because of those closed-door scrimmages and maybe hearing some things that those didn't turn out so well, that will lead us to believe this is not going to be a very good defensive team? Uh, I, don't, I mean, it seems like Cat always figures it out. We've had a couple teams without a lockdown defender that still ended up being solid defensively and statistically. We're going to need that again this year because we don't really know what we're going to get from this team defensively yet. Missing Josh, this is where we're going to miss him the most. He defended the rim extremely well. Wes Gordon is a good defender, but he's not 6'10". Uh, he's a smaller guy, so he's going to struggle to um, do the same things that Josh did just as from a physical presence standpoint. So, I mean, we ha we'll have some things to learn. I think that's what the biggest concern for the team right now is certainly team defense. So, for Tad, that's probably more frustrating than necessarily... You know, he, he'll be frustrated if we win games by outscoring teams this year because that's just not his philosophy. But from a fan perspective, you will live with that. Number 17, recruiting ranking by Scott for the early signing period. Tad Boyle said that the three guys that signed with them on Wednesday comprised the best signing class that he's had at Colorado. We debated this a little bit earlier, whether this, this class or the 2012 class with Josh Scott and Wesley Gordon and Xavier Johnson was better. We... Which side would you lean on? And it's very difficult, obviously, because we've seen what that 2012 class did on the court, and we obviously haven't with this. I would still say the 2012 class for now, just because Josh Scott is at presence. I mean, he's one of the best Colorado players of all time. One of the kids from this class is going to have to get to that level before I really say that the class is better. Uh, I think there's certainly potential for them to be better, but of course you got to see it on the court. They fit in extremely well. I think it's the, the best match for what Tad Boyle loves to do that he's had in some time, the type of player that he's getting in this class. There's no questionable guys in this class, which some people might give them a bonus as well. You know, there's no Eli Stalzers at the end of, at the end of the road here. So from you only had three spots, you have to make sure that you make them all count, and he certainly did that. You could have had four if you didn't bring in Alexander Stratin and say that he's going to have a scholarship going forward. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. Bill Greer, in, unless you didn't know it, he is uh, on the staff now as an assistant coach. He obviously replaced Rodney Billups, who everyone wishes well at DU. It sounds like he's going to have a little bit of a rebuilding effort down there in Denver, though. Bill Greer was a successful assistant coach at Gonzaga. He was a head coach at San Diego for a while, won a lot of games there. Just one year at Oklahoma State, kind of got on a, a sinking ship there and was rescued by, I don't know, maybe rescued isn't the right word. He probably would have had other opportunities, but he finds a great situation to join Tad Boyle's staff. Here's that interview. Coach, getting ready to start your first season here as an assistant at Colorado, what, what has this experience been like for you? Well, it's been terrific thus far. You know, I feel pretty blessed to be part of uh, a staff that has great cohesiveness. Uh, a lot of experience, um, they've had a lot of success here, and a group of players that I think has, uh, we have good overall talent, and uh, uh, they're, they're a bunch of good young men, they're fun to be around, so it's been a great experience so far. Obviously you saw this as a good fit, that's why you came here. Yeah. Anything about this experience been different than, than maybe you had anticipated coming in? No, you know, Tad, Tad and I have known each other 20 years, and, and, and I've known Bree and, and Mike and, and Sean for a long time, so it's nothing different than I expected. Um, 
I, I just knew it was a great situation and it would be a, a perfect fit for, for me and my family. For maybe the Colorado fan that doesn't know your background, how would you kind of describe your coaching style to them? Uh, you know, I, I've always been a stickler for fundamentals, and uh, that goes back to my roots. When I first started at Gonzaga, we were very, you know, footwork, passing, shooting, all the fundamentals of it. Um, I, when I became a head coach, I really wanted to play fast. I just didn't have the personnel to do it. Um, you know, but I think in my time at Gonzaga, we we played fast, we played inside out, and those are things that, that Tad believes in. You yeah. Know? And so there's a lot of similar philosophies there. In terms of this preseason, uh, you talked about liking the personnel on this team. It seems like you guys have a pretty deep group. What's been your your impression just of this team and its makeup? Yeah, I, I do. I think we 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 have depth. Uh, we have a variety of guys that that can score the ball in some different ways. I think, you know, different than how it's been maybe the past couple years with, with Josh and how good a player he was in the post where everything was going through him. Uh, now I think it's a little bit, maybe a little bit more balanced um, because there's so many guys that can make shots. Um, you know, but I think the biggest thing is uh, that's great and all, but, you know, we've got to be able to defend and rebound to be able to get come back down on offense and and get those shots. So, uh, got to be able to do both. Great, Coach. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, thank you. Again, kind of cut off abruptly there because I had to get over to Tad Boyle. Bill Greer is uh, kind of a soft-spoken guy. Uh, seems kind of rubs me as more of a technician type of coach. Definitely. Defensive-minded. Uh, watching practice. Definitely has some knowledge in the zone defense scheme, which will be interesting to see if we use that here. That would over be, Tad Boyle's dead yeah, body. Yeah, that would be um, that would be a surprise. Let's shall we say? But they did bring him in, so um, I think it was more for the recruiting aspect than anything else. But we throw that wrinkle in this year. That could be interesting. We'll see. It's time to dive into the Buff Stampede Radio Mailbag, which is presented by the Blake Street Tavern. Located one block north of Coors Field, the Blake Street Tavern has been Denver's premier sports bar since its opening in 2003. The Blake Street Tavern, where the game is always on, the drinks are always full, and the fun never stops. J.G. Buffs asked, Tyler, I'm not sure if you'll cover this in one of your preview articles, but what is your best case and worst case for the men's basketball team this season? Um, I don't know how in-depth... You want me to go on the answer to this question. I would say like a 17 and 14 would be worst case. I can't see this going as poorly as two years ago went. And even in that case, we were right around 500. Uh, I think we have more reliable depth than that team. We know that we don't have Josh Scott on this roster. There are other ways that you can be successful. Guard play is improved as well, which is usually a good sign for college. So to me, an NIT-esque level like low low end, they might have to sneak their way in. That'd be the, like the worst case scenario for me. Um, best case is twenty four and seven. Usually, in a best case scenario for me, it's just the other teams that we play aren't as good as we thought. That's how you sneak it in. So the one that sticks out to me right away is Arizona. If Alonzo Trier is not eligible, that's huge for them. That's a that's a huge loss. Um, UCLA again, they have a ton of talent, but how does that play out? Um, those two are really important. The rest of the conference is expected to be down as well. Um, I think 24 and 7, which would give you like a 5, 6 seed somewhere in their range, that would be the best case scenario for me. All right. Buff in Vegas had this question. 
With seemingly the biggest weakness and arguably the most important position, is there any hope of getting a true point guard that is a high four-star before Dominique Collier and or Thomas Akizili graduate, or can we not recruit over them? He's not a true point guard, but I think you've already got potentially that guy in Bryce Peters if he develops the way, obviously, if you're a Colorado fan, he, you hope he does. Yeah, I'd like to see more out of him as a point guard before we go that route. In college bas- um, basketball, though, you don't necessarily need a true point guard. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to play in college, um, for sure. Uh, the talent level is just so much different that you don't have to do things a certain type of way. But I, I, they do need a point guard in this upcoming class, not 2017, but 2018. Obviously, you want to get a guy that has offers from all over the country, Pac-12 or whatever it may be. Uh, that would make you feel a lot better about running the offense. But uh, by the time Dom and Thomas leave, maybe not. SMC Dowell 2874 asked, Any info coming uh, from the two close scrimmages? Got to be kind of careful. Uh, there was another media member that reported a lot of stuff out of a close scrimmage last year, and that didn't go over so well. Yeah. Um, it just, obviously, by the way Tad Boyles reacted, though, we do know that those two closed-door scrimmages didn't go excellent. Uh, yes, that, that, so there's a little bit of concern, I think, <laughs> on our end there. We don't know if Wes played, which would have a big impact on how that went down. Obviously, you'd like to have him on the court, but... Yeah, we might be in for a little bit of a rude awakening based on how our projections are going to go, I think. But uh, we'll see. It's like the same reason that I don't keep chips in my house is because if I do, I'll eat them, and that's not healthy. Mm -hmm. I didn't really even ask about the closed-door scrimmages because then if I don't know, then I just don't have to. Yeah, I I will say we got smoked by SMU in previous years, and it seemed to work out all right in the regular season. So uh, I wouldn't hold too much stock into how that goes. I think Tad Boyle always does funky things in those scrimmages, too, because even when they've had, kind of to your point, when they've had really good teams, even the reports out of those scrimmage, closed-door scrimmages weren't glowing. So moving along here, Call Me Coach B asked, do you guys know how Torrey Miller has looked? I think he could be a key off the bench in the post, especially the way Gordon has tended to deal with foul trouble throughout his career. I don't really remember Wes Gordon being in that much foul trouble, but we'll see. But Torrey is definitely going to play a huge role for this team. He's in fantastic shape. He is going to put a poster on somebody this year a couple times. I can guarantee you that. Very aggressive rebounding the ball, which is what you like to see. Defensively, we need to see a little bit more out of him. He needs to be more reliable next to Wesley Gordon in in order for this post defense to really be what it has. Um, I would like to see him not shoot jump shots this year. (laughs) Uh, Beyond that, though, he can really help us. I think Torrey Miller is a perfect example. It, it just kind of depends what your expectations are for him, right? I mean, if you expect him to be an all-conference player and right. be a guy that scores a lot of points, you're going to be disappointed. Right. He will be good in putbacks and some of those things that you need uh, on your team to, to be accomplished by a big guy at times. And so he's fine in that role. We'll get into that a little bit more when we do our Top Buffs countdown. We, we'll talk about each guy more individually. Mm-hmm. Buff in Vegas said Roddy Billups seemed to have great connections on the AAU circuit and seemed to build great relationships with potential recruits. Who do you see filling that void? Is that why Tad brought in Bill Greer? Yeah, Bill's got a really good reputation on the recruiting trail. Yeah, I mean, we got two four-stars from Southern California, and a lot of, a lot of that had to do with Bill Greer. Um, yeah, we're going to miss Rodney. Definitely two different type of relationships with the players. I think the players really could go to Rodney for pretty much anything last year. He's very relatable. 
but Greer really knows how to recruit, and he's a good coach. I think that we're not going to miss a whole lot from a coaching perspective with the change. Let's do the Top Buffs Countdown. Sometimes we do this as like a written feature this year. It just, with all the stuff going on with football, didn't get around to it. Let's kind of go reverse order here. Let's not include Dallas Walton and Straw Team because those guys are expected to redshirt. Let's not do the walk-ons because that's just kind of mean. We're not doing uh, Naaman either, are we? No, because okay. he's not going to play. Yeah. So my number 11 guy, and I hate this because he's a good basketball player, especially for a true freshman, and I think he's going to develop into a guy that just does the right things on the basketball court and people really grow to like over his career. But right now, DeLeon Brown is the, the, the bottom guy in terms of a scholarship guy on this team. He's the best number 11 player in the history of this program. Probably. There's I no Eli Stolzer. Yeah, yeah, I could honestly say that. I mean, he's the only reason he's this low is that he needs to physically mature. He's got to get bigger. Love his game. Really crafty. Great shooter. Comfortable with him and the ball in his hands. Probably the best defender on the team, which is probably, probably why he's not going to have the luxury of redshirting this year. He's a good basketball player. And to have him at the end of this list says a lot about the depth of this team. And kind of along those same lines, number 10, I have Bryce Peters. Me too. Yeah, I mean... Which is crazy. Yeah, I mean, the issue is you have two guys who maybe the fan base doesn't love a whole lot, but they're going to play a ton of minutes at point guard, and there's only so many minutes at one position on the court. Um, Bryce is a freak athlete. Uh, needs to work on his shooting a little bit. Uh, we'll see what his point guard skills are once he gets out onto the floor. We'll see if he can create for others as well as he might need to. Uh, but he's a really good athlete. He's going to be able to get into the lane, and he's a good defender as well. Yeah, I think with him, just at this young stage, it comes down to a consistency thing yeah. with him. Mm-hmm. There are just stretches where you're just, wow, this is like from a raw basketball standpoint, is one of the best players on the team. And then uh, other times, the one thing I do like about him is, is his aggressiveness, um, and you're not going to have to worry about him ever being a timid basketball player during his career here. Number nine, I'll let you tell me who you got nine. Lucas Seward, which again has me pretty excited. It's going to have some issues defensively. You just kind of get got, got have to get used to how Tad runs things on defense. He's definitely an offensive-minded player, but he can really shoot the rock. Uh, he's going to score some points for us this year. He looks really comfortable on offense, and I think Tad is actually really high on what he's going to do for us this year as well. I actually had him at number eight, and maybe maybe this is wrong, but it's it's a beautiful thing to see him stroke the basketball, and maybe that clouds my judgment a little bit. Haven't had uh, a big like that can shoot the ball like him. No, not in a long time. I mean, he's he's. He's going to be a better Austin Dufault here, and by the time Austin was gone, he was a pretty good basketball player. So so I have a pretty good feeling that number eight is Torrey Miller for you? Yes. What? So did you have him nine? I, I had him nine, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, so Torrey for me... Was it close at all in your mind between oh, the two Oh, for guys? sure, okay. absolutely. I just think Torrey, he has to play because he's the biggest kid on the team that's going to play minutes. Um, as a shot blocker, he's important, and he's going to get the crowd going. He's a rebounder. Seward is not going to be rebounding over people yet. So I just think for what this team needs, Torrey is going to have to play more for now. I think by the end of his career, though, Seward will be better. All right, number seven, who you got? Thomas Akizili. I agree. Yeah, so love him. A lot of people are like, ah, he's not any good. He can't shoot. It's like, okay, well, the second part is true. He can't shoot. 
We'll see if that improves this year, but everything else he does I well. I don't think it's going to improve the way that you hoped it would. Yeah. Based off the preseason. Yeah, but I but he does everything else well. Pushes the pace, defends, gets guys out in space. Um, he's really, really fun to watch, and I really just like how his change of pace from Don Collier. He's an important piece of this team. Um, he's going to play a ton of minutes. He's a good player. And I will say he's started to kind of emerge as a little bit of a, a leader out mm-hmm. there on the floor, which uh, you've always wanted Dominique Collier to do, but I just don't think it's in him to do that. He was my number six guy on this list. Yep. Wow, we're, we're really really uh, keeping it together here. Dom is my number six as well. Uh, guy that, based on what we've seen, the outside shot looks fine. So, I mean, he's going to knock down those outside jumpers, uh, but he's got to be smart beyond that. Um, run the offense, pass the ball to the open guy, take good quality shots, can't turn the ball over. Those are the things that he's got to be better at, and we haven't seen it yet, so hopefully he gets there this year. I just don't ever like to see a basketball player that looks intimidated ever on the basketball court. Do you get that sense with him at times? I don't know. I don't know if I would say intimidated is really the right word. Overmatch. I mean, he's, sometimes he just gets himself into a position on the floor that he has no chance of finishing, but he didn't give himself any other options. Uh, so he's got to think ahead. If I do this, how do, do I have an out? Uh, you know, he can't just throw balls up at the basket when he gets close. He's got to be able to have an outlet to somebody else. And if he doesn't, then he can't. Then he has to pull the ball back out. Those, those, are, those are the specific plays for me where he has to be better. I would like nothing more than Dominique Collar to have a fantastic season, and then you can feed me uh, some crow, and I'll, I'll uh, gladly. Yeah, I mean, I will say, good he, kid. He's he quietly kid. improved his numbers quite a bit last year from his freshman year. If he could do the same, I think people will be pleasantly surprised by his finishing stats. We do need to see him still in games fix the fouling issue. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Number five, let's see if we uh, continue to be on the same wavelength here. Josh Fortune? Yep. Yeah, so Josh Fortune. um, I actually have really high hopes for him this year, which I'm sure people are cringing. Uh, He is a really, really, really talented basketball player when he sticks to what he's capable of. Right. Um, this is actually the most important addition for him this season is Derek White. Derek White is the type of player that Josh Fortune was asked to be at times last year. He's not a ball handler. He's not a great passer. Um, he's a spot-up shooter. He's a really good defender. He's very athletic. If you let him shoot open shots, he's going to have a few games this year where he's really important for us. And we're not going to have to deal with the struggling Josh Fortune this year because they are just go right to Derek White. Um, so to me, I think Josh Fortune, if he buys into playing that six-man role um, and doing what he can and not anything else, could have a really special year. All right, number four, Xavier Johnson. Yep, we're gonna. This have was this was list. a. I think I think with the top four, more so than some of the other guys, you're splitting hairs a little bit more. Yeah, I mean between Fortune and XJ, I think you're splitting hairs quite. Do a you bit, really? Honestly. Okay. Yeah. Um, they do other things differently. I'm still a little skeptical of how XJ comes back. I, I want him to be a big-time impact player, and I'm sure he'll have some huge games because once he gets going, it's he can really have some special moments. He does seem to have corrected the attitude stuff, which is important for him. Well, let's um, let's see if it's corrected, though, when times yeah, get, get right, tough. Right, exactly. When times get tough, you'll, you'll never really know. But even in practice, like you can see him handling himself. He gets angry with himself, but he's not letting it affect his play, I guess is the way I'll do it. He, he seems to have really realized how much he missed basketball last year and is just happy to be out there back with the team, and I think he's looking for a big season. We'll see how it plays out, but I, I do think that he's 
kind of settled into his role a lot more than in years past. Tad Boyle likes to say a lot, especially when talking about XJ, play with emotion, but don't be emotional. And that was obviously the, the biggest issue he, he, he had before. I'm not too worried about him coming back off the injury. Tad Boyle says he's about 90% in terms of explosiveness. In that open scrimmage, he had a put-back dunk where he looked really bouncy. And it doesn't look like he's playing apprehensive at all out there, which is what you really worry about with guys coming back from an injury like that. And the timing of it, you know, helped. It happened so long ago that he had yeah. a long time to kind of work his way back. Number three, let's see if we keep it going here. George King? Nope. Okay. Yeah, so we're going to switch these three around. So these three, I think, are basically interchangeable. It's just all about what you're looking for. So I actually have Derek White, number three. And I'll tell you, And I'll tell you why. It's not because I don't think he can be the best player on the team. It's because uh, does he want to be. Okay. In the, in the limited time that I've seen him play, He's extremely talented, but does not take over games. We need him to, and that's what I think. That's going to be really important for um, him as the year goes on. He's the guy down the stretch that needs the ball in his hands. He can get to the free throw line. He can create for others. He's a good shooter, and he's that veteran presence. I need him to kind of be. I need him to become more the guy than he is so far. You know, I think part of that is that Derek White always wants to be playing under control. Yeah. And so to do what you're kind of you're talking about is maybe him going outside of that and at times playing a little riskier basketball. That's that's what you want to see out of him. I don't know if it's necessarily risky, but he's he's the most capable player to finish basketball games for us. The ball needs to be in his hands. Not necessarily risky, but I trust him to to make the right play, to hit the big shot, to get to the free throw line and quell some runs. Uh, but he has to want to do that. Right. He is a really smart basketball player. You hope that. He sees those situations in games and realizes that he's got to got to do it. He's got to step up to the challenge. I had him number two on my list and had George King number three. Obviously, you have George King either one or two on your list. Yeah, I have him one. I have West two. They're so tight though. Um, it's all about what you like in a basketball player. West to me is a guy again that's not going to take over a game for you offensively. Um, he's a little too passive at times. He's been great without Josh Scott, so I hope you see a lot more of that. Um, now that he's gone, a guy who can definitely average a double-double. I like what he does offensively. He passes a little bit too much in the post sometimes. I wish he would just finish himself. Um, has a chance to be a really dominant defensive player. I just need to see it from him. You pointed out exactly why I have Wesley Gordon number one, and that's because when I was thinking about this and I was undecided, and I was splitting, you're, you are splitting hairs here, is I did think back to at times the way Wesley Gordon played when Josh Scott wasn't out mm -hmm. there, and that's the player that uh, I expect to see out there this season. He did have a uh, high ankle sprain that kept him out of some of the preseason stuff, so I don't know how much that might affect him early in the season if he's going to come out like gangbusters or need a few games to kind of get in that groove. We didn't really talk much. I had George King number three on my list. You had him number one on yours. Uh, maybe talk a little bit more about your reasoning behind that. Yeah, so for me with George, he's the best offensive player on the team. Again, same thing I said with Derek White. He kind of disappeared in that UConn game. He's a guy that I need to take over basketball games a little bit more than he has. But to me, his versatility is what separates him from everybody else. Defensively, he struggled, but he improved last year. I still think he has the physical tools to be pretty solid there. But he's really comfortable in the post for a wing, which I love. Uh, you can really exploit mismatches in situations when you can finish over guys in the post. Terrific three-point shooter, improving ball handler. I'd like to see him create for others a little bit more this year. This is kind of just a projection thing for me. I think he has the potential to be the best player on the team if all things work out in his favor. 
Benjamin Bros does a great preseason uh, primer feature on the men's basketball team. Tyler, you you have some great preseason primer features as well. You kind of split them up a little bit. Yeah. Um, let's start with uh, your, your piece on the schedule. I'm sure there's you have a great knowledge to begin with, but you do research obviously for those pieces. What kind of struck you as you were going through the process of putting that, that schedule preview together? The one thing that I think people don't talk about enough when it comes to our schedule is how it's put together, why it's put together the way that it is. Uh, people don't understand, like, oh, okay, we're playing Portland, that's a nobody. Oh, we're playing Seattle, that's a nobody. Oh, we're playing Eastern Washington, that's a nobody. But there's a huge difference between a team ranked 200 in the RPI and a team ranked 345. And those are the things that Tad is super smart with. So we have that Division Two game on the schedule as well. People are like, ah, why would you do that? Simple reason of it doesn't count against your RPI calculation. So if you replace that game with, let's say, North or Northern Colorado, one of the worst teams in Division One, that really hurts your RPI calculation because you're playing a terrible team at home. Hurts your numbers. Doesn't do anything for your numbers when you play a D2 team and you have a similar, oh, okay, we can kind of get right coming off Xavier, coming off... CSU coming off BYU, uh, so it's a, it's, a, it's a way to get right, get your guys some rest, but also you're not hurting your overall RPI calculation when it comes to NCAA tournament play. Um, they're really smart with the away games, but also a little bit risky as well, if that makes sense. At Portland is a lose-lose game. Uh, if, you do, if you lose the game, you're going to be staring at it on your resume all year like you did in 2011 when we got left out and lost to San Francisco. It's going to be the exact same situation, but if you win it, it's a true road game in non-conference play. There are not a lot of teams that rack those up against a team that's roughly 200 in the RPI. So it's not a huge boost, but at least you can say you have a true road win. Same thing with Air Force. Not going to be a true road game for us, even though it is in the calculation. Um, even though it's a Monday night game, usually that's pretty pro-CU crowd. Those are the kind of like sneaky ways you can get yourself some RPI points that people don't really see. Then your next preseason feature was on the roster. We did it more from an individual basis going with the top post countdown. What were your feelings from the group as a whole when you did that story? Well, the concerns are team defense, go-to guy, which we talked about obviously going through the, the breakdown. Um, love our depth. Tremendous depth. There are a lot, I love our versatility. There are a lot of matchup issues we're going to give other teams, especially with George King and XJ. Those are guys that are going to be guarded by someone too small or too big almost every time you're on the floor. You have to exploit those mismatches. Our three-point shooting should be really improved. I really like adding Derek White to our um, guard rotation because he's capable of running the point if we have foul trouble issues or if Dom or Thomas Akizili aren't living up to the expectations. So I think that saves you a lot there. Obviously, size, we'll see. There are going to be some mismatch issues in the Pac-12. There's a couple of really big teams. Torrey and Wes are not monsters by any stretch, so... Um, those are the those are what I saw for that. And then your next preseason feature was a look at the other Pac-12 teams in the conference. I was out at Pac-12 Media Day, and of course Oregon comes up there, and you're looking at that team going, okay, this is a national championship contender. Mm -hmm. I don't see any team beating this team for the, the conference championship. Because when the other teams came up there, question marks, question marks, yep. question marks, question marks. So CU at least is not alone in having question marks. No, definitely not. I mean, Oregon, I'd be surprised if they don't win at least 15 conference games. Uh, I'm going to predict them to win 16 most likely. They are by far the best team in the Pac-12. They are strong. They are talented. They are deep. They are crazy athletic, especially on the front line. I still can't figure out why people are sleeping on them. People crushed them for getting a number one seed last year. Lost in the Elite Eight to Buddy Heald going off. 
They're like, see, overrated. It's like, okay, they made the Elite Eight. I don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's just ridiculous. Um, I don't know how you couldn't enjoy watching them play. That CU-Oregon game last year was the most beautiful basketball game that I can remember any a team of mine being involved in in college. It was, there, there's a lot of talent on the floor. A lot of good basketball being played. I love how they're constructed. Casey Benson is the perfect point guard for that roster. Um, I hate Dana Altman with a tremendous passion, but beyond that, Oregon is just incredible to watch. I, I really have, I really enjoy watching them play. Washington gets one of the best high school players to sign with them. He's going to be a freshman this year. How does Lorenzo Romar continue to get guys to commit to him? He doesn't get anything out of them, and they don't enjoy team success. Oh, yeah, I don't really know. <laughs> um, honestly, I do think Markel Fultz is going to be the number one pick in the NBA draft. He's that good. Uh, the rest of the team, though, is not great. Um, they couldn't make the NCAA tournament with uh, Andrew Andrews, who's not an NBA guy, but a tremendous college player, and two basically lottery picks in DeJunte Murray, even though he went late. That was a mistake. He's going to do damage in the NBA. And uh, Marcus Chris, obviously, was a number four overall pick. If you can't do it with those three guys, I can't imagine that you're going to do it only with Markel Fultz. I understand they were really young last year. They still have David Chris, Matisse Tybel, those guys coming back, but not a lot of veteran presence. Malik Dime is a really good player. Might be Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year, but I don't know. I just don't think they have enough. Arizona, just kind of based off reputation, I think they're ranked number two in, in terms of the preseason mm -hmm. poll. Is that justified? Yeah, I mean, because I think 2, 3, 4, and even 5 are all really tightly knit, and they have a bunch of 5 stars, so they're going to get the benefit of the doubt. They usually play really well, really solid team defense as well. I, I think they're going to struggle with that this year. Last few years, missing out on TJ McConnell, missing out on uh, Caleb Tarzuski now as well this year. They have some issues. I mean, Alonzo Trier, we don't know what's going on with that situation. If he doesn't play, they don't have a whole lot of talent. They're going to have to play 6 or 7 guys every night. If anybody else gets hurt, they're going to be in trouble. I mean, Raul Atkins is a big-time freshman, Laurie Markkinen as well. Uh, the guy that I really like there, actually, that's a freshman, is Kobe Simmons. I think he's going to be really good for them. But Ray Smith, third ACL tear, he's done there. I don't know. It's it's. Uh, I think if Alonzo Trier doesn't play, they could move down to fourth or fifth in the conference. There might not be a person on this planet that talks more negatively about their alma mater than I do, but I think Arizona State is going to surprise some people this year because of their guard play. Yeah, I mean, I think they're a little bit underrated. Uh, I like the two Buffalo transfers a lot, and I really like Trey Holder. I don't like their bigs. I don't like their depth. Uh, we'll see Sam Cunliffe needs to come in and play right away for them. He's, he is going to yeah. – uh, uh, Bobby Hurley was just raving about him at Media Day. Yes. And, of course, uh, at one point he was a guy that was looking at CU quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I have them finishing – they're projected to finish 11th. I have them finish 10th in the Pac-12. So I think they're going to be slightly better than people expect. Don't think they're going to make an NCAA tournament bid. Uh, they just don't have enough talent. Any um, surprise teams for you? Positively, negatively? Either matter. way. Either way. Um, I think USC is better than people are giving them credit for, despite the losses that they went through last year. I mean, they were going to bring everybody back. They were going to be a top 15 team if everybody came back. Julian Jacobs, Jovanovic. Gone early for questionable reasons. Cat uh, and Reinhardt transfers as well. But they still have Jordan McLaughlin, who's probably the best point guard in the league this year coming back. Um, and I really, really like Benny Boatwright um, there. He's a really talented player. They've got some incoming freshmen who should make some noise. 
I, I think they're a little bit underrated right now. I'm I'm gonna expect I'm gonna pick them to probably make the tournament, which most people are not seeing. Um, negatively, I think Utah is not gonna be very good this year, um, and Stanford as well. I think Stanford they're bringing a lot of guys back. People expect them to be better in their first year. And it sounds charities. like a whole culture shift within their program too. Yeah, and it's they have a lot of decent players. That usually doesn't bode well for you. You, you got to have that go-to guy, and Roscoe Allen, I feel like, is being slept on. He's gone now. Really held them together last year. He can really score the ball, very versatile kid, and he's going to be gone. I mean, you're really relying on Dorian Pickens and Michael Humphrey to carry you now. That's I don't love that a whole lot. For Washington State, fortunately, they have Josh Hawkinson because otherwise they might not win a conference game. Mike Eregbu, man. They got two dudes who are good and then a lot of dudes who aren't good. Yeah. They're gonna be, so they were one and seventeen in league play last year. They're gonna be better than that, but they're gonna finish last in the Pac-12. You have a predictions feature. We're taping this on Wednesday coming, but let's give uh, let's throw a little nugget out there and and do the the thing that everyone wants to hear, and that's record predictions. We'll go non-conference record, Pac-12 record, and season record predictions. Yeah. So honestly, I think I might be a little optimistic compared to what I really think now that I look back on it but I did this on the free ball and pod and I have to, I feel like I have to stick to my prediction now so I am 11 and 2 non-conference 11 and 7 conference for a 22 and 9 overall record gives you a 7 seed in the tournament and I'll say they make it to the second round okay I went 10 and 3 non-conference 11 and 7 conference and 21 and 10 overall I do think it's difficult not only because we haven't seen this team buy into Tad Boyle's defense and rebound yet, and again, going back to the Pac-12, having so question, so many question marks on so many different teams, you kind of look at the Pac-12 in football this year, and our expectations for CU football were so tempered because we expected everybody else to be better. Not knowing how good everybody else in the Pac-12 is going to be outside yeah, of Oregon I mean, is, is, makes it really difficult. Yeah, everyone's kind of crushes, and it's like, well, if Stanford, UCLA, and Oregon were as good as we expected, we easily could have lost all three of those games. So, And it's, sometimes it's just that little narrow difference in how things play out, and next thing you know, you're number 12 in the country. So, I mean, obviously it's worked out well for us, but... Yeah, it could be the same with basketball this year. The conference as a whole is expected to take a big step backwards, which makes it tough for NCAA bids because if you don't play as good a schedule, it makes it tough too. But, yeah, I think 22, uh, I don't know, somewhere between 20 and 22. I, I know that's kind of cheating the system, and I said 22, but I, w I would be not surprised with any of those results. Um, the 20, you're going to be on the bubble. And in in a league where it's not as good, you might be in a little bit of trouble. But we'll see see how it plays out. I almost had them only losing two non-conference games, and then I added a third loss in there because I think there's going to be a preseason game where things are kind of falling apart. And Tad Boyle, not saying he wants to lose the basketball game by any stretch, but he's going to do that game where he doesn't call timeouts and he kind of uses that as a, as a message. Game, because he's at some point. I'm gonna give you access to my Twitter so you can <laughs> remove my password so I can't get on it for that game, whatever game that may be. Because I want to be losing my marbles. I just see Tad there on the sideline with his arms folded, 
and the fans just being really frustrated, and he's just going to kind of sit back on the sco- on the scores table and just kind of watch it all unfold. <laughs> and he's just going to walk into the post-game presser and say, see, I told you we were overrated. <laughs> there you go. It was the greatest post-game after the Arizona game that one year where he says, I want to fight somebody right now. Ted Boyle is awesome in terms of dealing with the media and being real. And uh, I once got frustrated at a fan that said, well, you guys don't press Tad Boyle in the press conferences. And my thing is you don't have to press Tad Boyle. You ask him a question, and he will give you his honest assessment of things. So do you have a problem with the way we deal with Tad Boyle? Should we, I mean. I mean, there are definitely times where I wish I was in there so I could ask him (laughs) why he wasn't calling timeout or running the rotation out there that he was. But, I mean, that's just me being a dick more than anything else. Well, here's the thing, too, is Tad Boyle, I mean, if he doesn't like the question, he's going to answer it the way he wants to, right? Yeah. Yeah, so. I mean, yeah, exactly. You ask the question, and he would tell me to screw off, and that would be the end of that. So, <laughs> A few more topics before we sign off here. Xavier Johnson might be this team's leader, Tyler. Does that concern you at all? Yeah, some. But, I mean, a lot, I think a lot would have to go wrong for him to revert back right now. I actually trust him that he's made a lot of headway in terms of veteran leadership. I think, I think more likely to work out good for the team than poorly. How many games into the season does Derek White become a known commodity? I feel like, and I, I even asked Tad Boyle this at Media Day, I was like, is it like Derek White's kind of the secret that only people in Colorado know about? And he said, yeah. But that secret's going to get out soon. Yeah, and I'll say the second game of the year. We'll, we'll allow him one game where he struggles. That's the most I'll allow. Okay. As soon, as soon as he gets comfortable, people will know about Derek White. At Media Day, Tad Boyle, I was kind of curious. You know, he's, he, he almost, when he got the job, kind of had this fatherly presence of him. And he's kind of slowly... Grandfatherly? He's, he's, <laughs> he's easing into that. I wouldn't say he's full-on... Grandfather yet? No, not yet. But you can kind of see him in the next five years. He's going to make that transition. I mean, he certainly looks pretty comfortable in his role. Right. Well, I was just kind of curious. I said, you know, do you still have the same passion for the job as when you got it? And he he said, it is like I got the job yesterday, how I feel inside. Now I look a little different. I've lost more hair, and what I have left is more gray. But I go to work every day at the University of Colorado, thankful I have this job, appreciative that I have this job. And I've had other opportunities to leave, but I'm a Colorado guy. I grew up in Colorado. I left one time, and I'm not going to leave again, at least not on my terms. That's a pretty definitive statement right there. It is for sure, and I hope that he stays true to that because otherwise it's going to crush my soul. (laughs) I I would be really disappointed if Dad didn't retire on his own terms, the coach of Colorado. And I brought up the fact that he had opportunities to leave Colorado, so don't get frustrated with him for putting that in in the quote. Uh, I know some people have, when they had that bad season, remember there was like maybe a half dozen really strong boiled detractors that would always bring that up as a negative? Yeah, well, can't love everybody. (laughs) Is there pressure, though? Not, Not hot seat pressure, but pressure in terms of, okay, you guys have been in the tournament four times, and yeah, you have a win, but you haven't had that run yet to at least the Sweet 16. Is there pressure on Boyle this season to get that done in the tournament? Is there pressure from who? From the fan base. The fan base, absolutely. 
Uh, but the fan base is unrealistic. <laughs> I mean, you you obviously want to do that at some point, but I will repeat this until I die, that it's all about matchups, and sometimes you just get lucky and you go on a Sweet 16 run. But the matchups are sometimes created by how well you do in the regular season sure. and the seed that just you get. To some degree, but I mean, we've had pretty solid seeds overall and just had tough matchups as well. I mean, getting matched up with Pittsburgh and UConn, those are veteran teams who have been in the tournament three or four times, have seniors. That's not who you want to play in the first round ever. You know, a UNLV squad that is overseeded, those are the guys that you want to play um, year in and year out in the tournament. So, yes, there is some pressure from the fan base, quite a, quite a lot of it, I would say. But it'll happen. I mean, if you make the tournament every single year, you will win a few games uh, along the way. But there's not any Rick George or AD or that type of pressure on Tad Ball. If you make the tournament every year, he better be safe. I didn't put this on the production plan, but the new speakers, that's going to be exciting. Sweet. Yeah, man, it looks good in there. The floor is awesome as well. Uh, I think that's a pretty cool little concept. They're putting railings in. Of course, Event Center is going to look not like a dump here if we don't be careful. It kind of has a little bit of a charm. You don't want to get it to, to be too fancy, right? It only has a charm for us. <laughs> I remember just the, the first teams I was covering under Ricardo Patton. I used to just, and I'll admit this, I did not want to go cover those games. And I would be driving up there and just be kind of like, a, I'd rather be doing a million other things. And you get in there, and the atmosphere wasn't there. It's crazy how much winning has turned that building into something pretty amazing. Yeah, man. The atmosphere in there is, I love it. It gives me chills all the time. I just wish the schedule would make it a little bit uh, a little bit better for the students especially. I mean, we're going to be missing start of conference play and a lot of the games in non-conference for Thanksgiving and fall break. I mean, Thanksgiving and winter break. So it's just kind of a bummer. They are apparently going to do some testing on the roof to see if they might be able to put in a, a hanging scoreboard and that would be a project for next season. How important is something like that? Oh, I mean, it's huge, uh, obviously visually. And it just kind of gives legitimacy to your program to have things like that inside the stadium. Uh, certainly a lot better than those ugly-ass speakers that have been hanging there for the past 20 years that they replaced. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's important. You could start doing a video board all across the way, you know, for your intros. That kind of stuff is cool, so it's important. What else could you envision them needing to change about the program internally, externally, building-wise, anything else? As well, a I mean, from the building, you'd love to get some suites in there somehow. I don't think it's really that feasible. You'd have to put it, like, on the top where the hallway is now, I guess. Um, that would that would be awesome. Um, from a program perspective, you just kind of continue to get Tad Boyle's guys. He, he always recruits into this package that he got in 2017. He can continue to do that. Um, and get guys who are going to be successful here aren't going to leave for the NBA in one or two years, and three or four years down the line will be all conference-type players. Well, that's a pretty pretty good uh, overview of the men's basketball season. Am I missing anything? We're all tad, man. It's all right. fun time of the year, multiple sports going on. I'll be up in Boulder all the time. Dark horse, I'm coming for you. Don't get mad at us if you're a, only a football fan. Because we have a whole separate podcast this week for the uh, for the football team, so uh, this was just uh, I think a good idea to kind of break it up for the people that maybe are just a fan of football. So, anyways, hope you enjoyed this preseason overview. It should be a fun season.